You know, if you've uh, grown up uh, with TVs in your home and, and back in our days, I, I'm not sure when I was young, I think there probably were color TVs. It's just my dad was too cheap to get one. And uh, I remember when we first, the first color TV we ever got, it was one of those huge, uh, uh, it was stereo, a wooden frame. They have stereo and a TV and all that, and it was colored. And my dad, he, he bought it because we were always wanting, we kept saying this, kids, we want a color TV. You know, Saturday morning cartoons just weren't the same. We'd see our friends with them. So my dad finally broke down and bought this used one. Well, the color didn't work anymore. It did have color, but it was lines across the screen. And uh, so that was just kind of typical. And I don't, if you, So if you watch uh, TV, it's, you see different uh, kind of traditions or kind of, uh, uh, that's probably not the word, but they try different things. And, and it seems like recently, the last few years, it's been this thing of, of jumping back and forth. You'll, be, you'll maybe start out in the present time, and then it'll jump to the back story back several years, or it'll go six weeks ago and back and forth. And, and for me, I'm one of these guys that, you know, I, I kind of, uh, uh, and maybe most of us, a lot of us men are this way, I'm kind of focused on one thing at a time. So if I'm watching one of those shows, I'm focused on the show. Uh, my wife is not the same person. My wife does three things all the time. She's always going like this. And she tells me that she's paying attention, except for quite frequently in those kind of shows, she'll interrupt me and say, now, what, where, what happened here? I said, we're six weeks back in time. Why are we six weeks? And we go through this whole thing. Well, if, if you're one of these piece, people where that's, uh, you know, you're kind of hard to follow that kind of stuff, we're probably going to mess you up today because that's what's going to happen here. We're going we're gonna to start, start into uh, the, the reason for this, what we call Palm Sunday. We're going to start right into the, to the, to the, uh, to the moment, the celebration that happened just a, a few days prior to the cross, as we're le- or a few hours to the cross as we're leading up to it, and as, as Jesus is heading. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go, go to the Gospel of John, and that's where we're going to be for the next two Sundays. We're going to, we're going to focus as you get there. Today, go to cha- chapter 12 to start with. We'll focus on chapter 2 and 3 for these next two weeks, and, uh, but I want to start it in chapter 12 because actually what's taking place there is uh, we're going we're gonna to look at that moment and kind of get the background in place where Jesus is actually heading into Jerusalem. Uh, and we want to get a, a little background flavor of what's going on there. And he's heading into Jerusalem, and you remember the, in fact, we'll see it, the folks go out to meet him. So uh, chapter 12, and, and I want to start this morning, we're, we're starting up there with verse 12. And I want to kind of walk through, set the stage for really the next two Sundays as we spend some time, and we're going to be focusing probably primarily on the word belief. And, and as we will look at it surrounding this part of Jesus' ministry as, as John, and remember John was one of the followers of Christ, one of the eyewitnesses, so he's writing from, from his own experience things that he had the opportunity to see take place, and uh, so he's going to write about these events, and we're going to think through them with him. So starting off chapter 12, uh, we're, we're, we're starting at this point six days before the Passover, now, I probably don't need to do this with anyone in this crowd, but let's remind ourselves of what the Passover is. The Passover was, was a, probably the most important celebration for the Jews. Uh, for them, it was that once a year reminder that 
under the leadership of Moses, God delivered them from the slavery that they were in with Egyptian. For 400 years, they were in slavery. And so that was, a, that was quite a feat. And you remember, a lot of miracles and, and powerful things took place in that whole experience. And so once a year, they would celebrate the Passover. If they could, if it was all possible, uh, they would go to Jerusalem for this celebration. And, and all that fits into the context that we're talking about. Uh, so they would try to get back to Jerusalem. Now, now realize at, at this point, in fact, so many of these things fit into help, uh, helping us understand Scripture, but at this point, they were coming from a lot of different places. Over their, over their we say recent history, but over several years of their history right leading up to this, they were scattered all over the place. They were, they were conquered by different nations. They were, those nations would often exile them and take them to another place, what happened under Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonians and the Mede-Persians. And so they were scattered all over the place. And by this point, after hundreds of years of that taking place, they had, uh, they had different languages. Uh, in fact, that's in, the, in Acts when it talks about the day of the, what we call the beginning of the church. Uh, when, when Peter spoke to them and, and, and then the disciples spoke in these tongues and the people were there, all these Jews were gathered and, for Passover and they were hearing their, these disciples, these, what they say, these ignorant Gentile or ignorant Jewish fishermen speaking in their language and they're thinking, that, how are they doing that? Well, it was the power of God, the, God, the Holy Spirit. And so, so it's an amazing thing. So, but they'd come to Passover, they would come to Passover and they come from all these kind of different languages and also they would come with different coinage. They had, uh, you know, depending on the area they lived in, the, the way their, the kind of money they had uh, was different as well. And all this fits into this story and becomes part of, of what we'll see as we move in. So, so we're, we're at that time of year, and it is six days before the, the actual celebration of the Passover, and it goes on and says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they hear that he's coming, and, and you know what happens next, because you've heard this story ever since you were back in Sunday school. They go out to meet him. Now, now here's the backstory, though. One reason they're so excited is if you look in your Bibles, and actually you can look back to chapter, I think chapter 11, coming right up to this, is Jesus has just done something. He's been doing miracles all along. In fact, when we jump back to chapter 2, we're, gonna look, we're not going to look at it. We're going to talk about the first miracles. But he's been doing miracles all along. Uh, and, and we're going to identify why that was important in just a moment. But, so he's been doing these miracles, but, but just a few days prior to this, he did something unbelievable. He, he raised this guy named Lazarus from the dead. Remember that story? Lazarus was one of his best friends. Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, their brothers and sisters, and, and Lazarus died, and Jesus, three days after he had died, he'd been in the grave for three days, he came and, and rose him from the, from the dead, and, and he walked out of, the, out of that grave alive and well. And so, so word's gotten around, and people are really excited, and, and they really want to see Jesus, and they've been convinced of a lot of things. So the next day, they gathered to, to see Jesus. They heard he was coming, and they went out to meet him. Uh, we'll also find out in a moment that uh, he hasn't been seen for a while. He's been kind of in hiding. But it says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Now, I highlighted those because both of those statements are interesting statements. Number one, the first statement, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, 
means that there are at least are a good, a significant number of people that have come to the conclusion that this man is from God. And it's the miracles that have brought him to that conclusion. Now, uh, uh, so, so that's going to be, in some, for some, that's part of the celebration. Part of that is, that is lined up with that. In fact, steps in the next statement is they've also identified that he must be the Messiah. Now, we're going to, and, and some of this is going to be old news to you, but we're going to find out that there's some conflict within even that calling him that Messiah. But, but uh, the Pharisees are going to hear them crying these things. And if you remember, John doesn't talk about it, but the Pharisees are going to hear this, and it's not going to be good for them. They do not appreciate that. Uh, and, and as we talk for the next two weeks, we're going to find a dichotomy in the Pharisees. Now, remember who the Pharisees are, the religious leaders. They're the preachers. Uh, they were the ones that their responsibility was to direct people towards God, to teach His Word. And especially in this time, to, to remind people to watch for the coming Messiah. And uh, so that, that was their responsibility. But they're in conflict, and, and uh, part of it, it, we'll see, it'll come become clear as we walk through this. So, so when they hear this being said, blessed is he by the people, by the crowd, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're not real happy about that because they've been trying throughout his ministry to contradict that, that thinking, to, cause, to help people not head that way at all. So that's not good to them. And then when he goes on, they go on and say, blessed is the king of Israel, which is another way of saying, we believe he is the Messiah, because that's what the Messiah was. He was their coming king. That especially is going to be troubling to the Pharisees. And, uh, uh, but it, we're going to find out, it's also going to be somewhat troubling to Jesus, as we'll see as we walk through this. So, but they come out, they meet him, they're waving the, waving the palm branches, that's why we call this Palm Sunday. Uh, they throw their coats down, remember, as Jesus rides in on, on the colt of a donkey, and, and as he's riding down into Jerusalem, they're throwing, throwing their, their palm branches and their coats down for the donkey to walk across, all signs of the fact that they're celebrating him as their king. And he goes on. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, got to ask yourself, what do they mean by the this? And we'll kind of identify that in a moment. But, but you know, if you study this story at all, if you've read any of the witnesses' accounts, the Gospels, you know that from the, almost from the get-go, they've been contradicting Jesus. They've been, remember, they followed him around, they, they've tried to trap him with questions and crowds. We've seen some of that. A few years ago, we spent a little time walking through part of Jesus' ministry, especially as it focused around his Sermon on the Mount. And, and so, that, so this has been a constant process. They, they're trying to discredit Jesus. That's what they tried to do throughout his three years of ministry now, is, is discredit him, cause, ask, ask questions that will either entrap him, uh, uh, cause him to say something that, that is against the Roman law or against the Jewish law or something they can claim that was blasphemous. They've been doing this all along. But what they've come to the conclusion is this isn't working. Try as we might to, to keep the people from following this man. They're following him in any way. In fact, the, the exaggeration is the whole world's gone after him. You know, uh, uh, they're just... They're concerned, this crowd, this celebration. Uh, and in fact, remember, if in another one of the Gospels, uh, they, they actually tell, they order Jesus, tell these people to quit saying this stuff. And, and remember what Jesus said. He said, if they do, the rocks will cry it out. 
And so, so they're very concerned about the direction things are going. And, and they know with, with this, this recent raising of Lazarus from the death, that's just, that's just made things worse. And, and they're realizing this plan that they've had all along to somehow just discredit him enough to the point where the people just won't follow him, it's not working. That has not worked. So we jump back a chapter <coughs> as right after, after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And they have a meeting, and uh, they're kind of talking through this same idea. They said, what are we accomplishing? The Pharisees asked. If we let him go on like this, and this is right after he was risen, Lazarus from the death, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, we're getting some, some uh, insight into the heart of the Pharisees and what has always been their problem throughout Jesus' three years of ministry. Uh, but, but they're saying, you know, we got to do something. Here's what we're concerned about. Number one, first of all, and, and I think this is in the list of priorities, their first and foremost concern is he's taking the attention away from us. Uh, we're going to lose our place. We're supposed to be the people, the per, people that people look to to hear about God and, and find direction to God. And, and they're looking to this individual, this man, and and that's what's bothering them. It's what's bothered them from the very beginning. They had a system in place that kept the people very much in control. In fact, we're going to see part of their system in a moment. And that's their first thing, is this guy is taking the attention off of us. And we're losing our place. And we're losing our authority in their lives. Secondly, they said, in our nation. They're concerned because, uh, you know, they've always they've got this really, this very tenuous arrangement with the Roman government, who is really controlling government. And, and any time there's kind of an uprising or, or any time there's a little bit of a, you know, the Romans would step in and, and clamp down. And right now they had a lot of freedom. And really the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Romans had kind of backed off. And, and for the most part, other than taxation, they were kind of letting those guys, those religious leaders, run the show. And they're thinking, man, if, we, if, if this guy draws attention to us, the Romans are going to jump in here and, and they're going to clamp down and, and on us as a nation. And so there's their concern, and, and that's what they're worried about. And then an interesting came place. In this meeting that they're having together, the head guy, Caiaphas, who's the high priest that year, it says then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now, this is really interesting. This is, I, I'm trying to, I'll fill some gaps here, just in, and this may just be my thinking. But So Caiaphas, and this remember, this is prior to what we just saw, the Passover, they're moving in Jerusalem. This is the meeting they had after the, after the resurrection of Lazarus. Caiaphas says, I think I know what we need to do. We've been trying this diversion tactic. We've been trying to, to undermine his integrity. We've been trying to redirect people's attention off of him and on to us. We've tried to catch him in, in uh, questions. And, and no matter what we've tried, nothing has worked. You know, there comes a point where you've got to deal with the problem. And it's a lot better for one guy to be put to death and than to have a whole nation perish. Well, here's, here's me, think, my thinking, because I'm not sure that all the Pharisees were on board that day. 
uh, they're kind of like, oh boy, that's pretty drastic, you know, I don't know. But, but when we get back a couple of days later after, as they see him being walking into Jerusalem and the celebration of the people, they uh, realize we got to do something about that. Because right after that conversation, Jesus knew what was going on. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved publicly among the Jews. He, he knew that there was, that was a threat. Caiaphas was saying, let's get rid of the problem. Let's quit trying these diversions, all these other tactics. Time to get rid of the problem. It's trying to deal with the problem. And so Jesus recognizes that he needs not to move publicly because it's not time yet for what is about to take place. It had, the Passover had to get here first. So the Pharisees said one to one another, this is getting us nowhere. And I think they finally come to the conclusion that Caiaphas is right. We've got to do something more drastic. It is time for us to take care of the problem, which is going to lead to the events of, of this week that we think through of, of what happens on Friday, of the, the, the various uh, uh, kangaroo trials that are going to take place, the breaking of laws, which is unbelievable, all the things that you've probably talked about in the past and that actually leads to finally the cross, but they've decided it's time to deal with the problem. All right, now I want you to move back to chapter 2, uh, where, where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Now, this is back, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, just following John the Baptist has been on the scene. And, uh, in fact, it's following his very first miracle. You remember what his first miracle was. The miracle the mama told him he better do. Uh, the wedding that he was invited to him and his disciples. And, and they, they ran out of wine. And, and uh, so mama told Jesus, you need to do something about this. And, and remember, there's a little bit of a discussion uh, some, I've heard it preached sometimes, kind of a disrespectful, but it was not. Uh, he was addressing her in, in a kind fashion, but he, and he says, well, what are you asking me to do? It's not time yet. And, and she says, she, she basically says to the servants, do whatever he says. And, and remember, he brings the water and he turns the water into wine. So, so that's, that's, the ministry is launching right now. And so when it starts off in chapter 2, and it says after this, it's talking about that, that first miracle that Jesus did in kind of a private setting. It's, it was not a very public thing, but it was the first time where God, and, and we'll see this in a moment, there's a reason for the miracles. In fact, it's interesting. I was, I was in a conversation recently, and, and, I, and uh, one of the uh, misnomers about the scriptures is, and about biblical history is, that, that God did miracles, uh, or, or that God used individuals to do miracles throughout the context of all biblical history, and that's not true. If you read your Bibles, there are, there are particular times where he will have like Elijah and Elijah. That was a period of time where he was using them as a spokesperson. He was trying to identify that what they had to say was definitely from the Word of God. And so he did miracles to verify that they were speaking for God. Moses is another one of those periods of times. Uh, then you have really a, a long period of time where not that God ceases to do miracles, but where he's using individuals. And then Jesus comes on the scene and, 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 and Jesus is identified by God with the miracles he did. So after he's done this miracle of the, of the turning the water into wine, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we're, we're jumping back three years to the very time we started with. That, that Passover celebration that we just looked at that led to the cross this is three years prior to that because it happened the same time every year. And, and once again, it's that time of year when the Jews come together to celebrate Passover. And, 
And this is going to be the moment where, where the stage is set. Although it's three years prior to the cross, the stage is set for the conflict that the religious leaders, the individuals that, that were supposed to lead people towards God, are going to be in conflict with Jesus. So Passover is just about to begin, and Jesus, as all the good Jews did, headed towards Jerusalem, if they could, headed towards Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. When it was almost time, skipping down to verse 13 and 14, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at table exchanging money. Now, you kind of know if you were brought up in Sunday school what's going to about to happen. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about this. There was nothing wrong with, with what they were doing. In fact, it had been permissible for an extended period of time because, because of the fact that the, the Jews, the Israel nation, had been scattered so far away and were coming from all kinds of, of backgrounds and with all kinds of money. Uh, and, and because a lot of them traveled a great distance when this is a, a time of uh, a lot of sacrifices. And so f- some of the folks traveled too long of a distance to be able to bring their sacrifice, bring the livestock with them to make the sacrifice. But you know, there were pretty stringent rules about what kind of a animal could be used, and it had to be free of defect. And, and so you take, try to travel with an animal, by the time they would get there, they wouldn't be an acceptable sacrifice. So it had been allowed for a long time for those who were traveling a great distance to be able, they would have livestock there that they could purchase to make their sacrifices. And so that, and there was nothing wrong with that, and, and it had been part of it. Plus the fact that, that the uh, temple in Jerusalem only accepted two kinds of money, and it was the money of the local system. And so it, was, it had become an apparent need. This was a response to the need that we need to have a way that they can exchange their money because a lot of them came with offerings. That was part of what they would do. They would give their temple offerings to help sustain the temple. And, and so they, had, this, they, they uh, had money changers there to help change them into the currency that the temple could, all, could use in that area. So this was all just normal stuff. Things that actually were originally done for the purpose of helping people. But you know that as time went on, it became more than that. Uh, some, some individuals began to realize, well, you know what? We could, uh, we could make some money with this. And, and unfortunately, under the auspice of the religious leaders who okayed that, there came a time when instead of... Uh, it being something done to help the people out, it became something done to help some greedy leaders get a lot of extra money. And so Jesus saw this, and he saw what was going on, and it says he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. He saw what was happening, and what happened was they, they were it was a ripoff. They got to the point where they were charging enormous prices for animals and, and even setting up, you know, you, you let it, allowing unacceptable animals to be sacrificed but at a cheaper rate. And, and the, the money coiners, instead of making a, a, a level exchange, were using that as an opportunity to, to 
take money from the people as well. And this was all under the auspices of the religious leaders. They had okayed this because they were getting their take out of it. And it had become a horrible thing. Instead of being a place that was celebrated and, and looking to God and how he provided for them and had delivered them, it became an aggravation. If you came in and you traveled a great distance, you, you knew that you were going to have to deal with these scoundrels before you could actually get to your worship of God. And, and it had become just a terrible terrible environment. And Jesus saw this and, you know, he made this whip and he drove them out. In fact, it's interesting to me, it goes on and says, it, made a, it, it distinguishes this. And he said, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And I, and I think there's a reason he even distinguishes that aside, because if you know your word, the, the poor were the ones that would have to settle for a dove. And God made that acceptable. He, when he set up his sacrificial system, he talked about the fact that, that you would make sacrifice, you would give your gift to God based on your own well-being. And not everyone could afford to bring a nice cow to, to be sacrificed or, or a lamb. There were some who, they didn't have the herds, they didn't have that ability, and, and so he allowed for even a grain offering. And, and so I think just showing how insensitive the church had become to the needs, and especially the poor that were around them, was, was an especially angering point to Jesus. And so it identifies those who are selling the doves, and he chases them out of the temple and, and then makes the declaration. In fact, another translation says, uh, John says here, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? Another one, one of the gospels says, how, do you, how dare you turn my house into a den of thieves? That's what it had become. They're ripping people off. They became about the money. They became about how, how to make as big a profit as they could off of the people who would come to worship God. And, and this is such a, this is a heartache. In fact, you know, uh, it's interesting. It's a challenging thing to us as, as Christians to know what to do with anger. But Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, be angry. There are things that should make us angry. Injustices, when when uh, individuals are, are, uh, are unfairly dealt with, those kinds of things, uh, but, but sin not. And so he, this makes Jesus angry. In fact, uh, as it takes place later on, the disciples remembered that there was actually a prophecy that said that zeal for your house will consume me. And, and they recognized that this, is, this has set Jesus up. This has set the stage for what's going to happen three years down the road. When he goes to the cross, this is the beginning of the battlefield that uh, is going to continue on between him and the Pharisees. And then the Jews, and probably referring here mainly to the Jewish leaders, they demand on him. They're saying, what authority do you have this? I mean, he, he called it his father's house, and they're basically saying, what authority do you have to do that? What right do you have to come in here and tell us how we should operate our business, which in their mind, their business was the temple and all the things took place. What authority? How can you prove this? Because they knew. Here's what, here's what's interesting. They identified that in the past, in the history of the Jews, every time God was, was working through an individual in a special way among the Jews, that individual would come with the ability to do miraculous things. And so they're challenging him. I don't think they've heard about the, the wedding at all yet. It's probably not even out. And, uh, but they're challenging him. You, you're not allowed to, to do these kind of things. You're not one of us. 
So if you are from God, we are challenging you, and I think when they make the challenge, they're convinced he's nobody. We are challenging you. Do the miracles that would prove that God has sent you. He makes an interesting statement. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, you and I know what he's talking about. The Pharisees, if you go on and read there, they respond. They say, wait a minute. Do you realize how long it took us to build this temple? They're talking about Solomon's temple. But Jesus is talking about himself. And he's making a prophecy. He's, going to say, he's saying, you are going to try to destroy this temple. But it's going to raise again in three days. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for my house will consume me. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed. And we talked about that last week, remember? Uh, There were no believers at the cross. When Jesus died, when they saw the resurrected Jesus, they believed, and they remembered what he had spoken. It's interesting, and here's where we're going to end. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs. He did go on and do miraculous signs. In fact, for the rest of his ministry, he will. Uh, he, did, he did back up his claim to have the authority to, to talk about what should and should not take place within the temple that the people worshipped at. He had that authority. He's going to demonstrate it over and over again. They challenged him. He's going he's to answer the challenge. Many people saw miraculous signs he was doing and they believed in his name. But Jesus went on to trust himself to them for he knew all men. Here's the question. We're going to talk about this next week too because it all comes down to what we believe about Jesus. He's the catalyst. The interesting thing is you would think, because it sounds like you're reading this, they're watching his miracle signs and they're saying, Man, this guy's the Messiah. In fact, someone will say, uh, when we got the, where we started today, they're, they're recognizing him as the king, as the Messiah. But here's the problem. They're, the problem is, and, and the reason it says Jesus will not trust himself to them, is there's all kinds of belief. The question we, we ask ourselves, and the, and, and, and the question we want to clarify these next two Sundays is, uh, what do we actually believe about Jesus? Do we believe that he is, is the reason we're at peace with God the Father, the sacrifice he made on the cross, that it was on our behalf? You know, I, I read uh, Facebook posts all the times, and, and, uh, and I share, I guess, I guess that's, our, that's our social media nowadays and, and those kind of things. And, and I'll see Christians will say, there'll be a post that say, you know, uh, uh, forward this, and in two weeks God's going to take care of all your needs. He's going to pay off your bills. And I'm saying, okay, they believe in Jesus. But what do they believe? Is that what God's looking for? Is that what he has promised? Is that what he's concerned about? Uh, There are people who say, oh, I believe he's a historical figure. I believe he was a good man. He had good things to say. That's great. But is that what Jesus is looking for? Is that what he came for? Is that what he wants us to understand? Uh, James is going to write the brother of Jesus later on who becomes a follower of Jesus. He's going to write, even the demons believe. 
It's interesting, uh, we're going to jump back to that day when Jesus is heading in Jerusalem and at an hour he's going to be on the cross. And one of the other Gospels, Luke, Dr. Luke writes this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, only you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But it's hidden from your eyes. You see, it's not just belief. In fact, we're going to look next week at the Pharisees who have claimed all along they don't believe. And it's going to be interesting to find out what they actually do believe. But here's the question for you and I this morning is, Lord, when I look at you and as I reflect on you this Easter season and and I believe in you, What's my belief wrapped up in? What do I find in, in that relationship? What, what is it that's really important? Is it the peace that you've brought me? That I now am in relationship with God the Father? Is that what I celebrate? Or is it, do I have all these other expectations that really are not that important? Think about that. Let's talk more about it next week. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to dig into this time of year and just the things that you're allowing us to see, these insights that give us some of the backstory, some of the, some of the dramatic, some of the tension and, and, uh, that was going on around you. When, when you came into this world, that's certainly what you brought. There was a lot of tension. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who claim to believe that, but their belief was wrapped up in their own perspective of what they were looking for in a Savior. And man, that's no different than today. And, and Lord, even as your children, we can fall, we can fall ploy to these things. We can suddenly wrap our belief in you around things that really don't matter. They're really off track. They're really losing focus of what's really significant about the cross and even more so the resurrection. Thank you for this, what we call Holy Week. And it is a Holy Week because we set it apart to reflect on what you did on our behalf. Thank you for the opportunity we're going to have together to share in communion Friday night and think through that cross and for the resurrection celebration we're going to have next Sunday. And for those folks that are going to come to our church that maybe don't know you, I pray that you prepare their hearts. Thanks, Father, for your time, this time in your word. pray these things in your son's name. stand with them as he closed this morning. We're going to close with this chorus that we sang earlier. Prepare our hearts for Easter next week.
more time. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Thanks for worshiping with us.